and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Malcolm the Middle podcast, where we are watching and talking about every episode of Malcolm the Middle one by one in chronological order. Today we are talking about Casino, which originally aired November 19th of 2000, was directed by Todd Holland, written by Gary Murphy and Neil Thompson. Hi, I'm Jake, but I go by Debbie in the chat rooms. And I'm David, and this is my intervention. Before we get to this week's episode, we need to look back at last week's episode for our community segment. And of course, last week was Dinner Out, which for our shittiest and least shitty kid poll results that are uh, quite interesting, David, uh, to refresh your memory for Dinner Out, we disagreed on both of our awards uh-huh. for the shittiest kid you chose one dewey for stealing money and being and gross food. yeah and being gross yeah <laughs> well i chose francis for being sexist at the gates of the academy look if i'd have had any future knowledge as to how this was gonna build <laughs> i'd have a hundred percent chosen francis i thought this was a one-off don't worry too much because uh, the internet actually didn't agree with me. That's good. Or you. What? No. 50% of the audience chose Reese as the shittiest kid with 25% agreeing with me that it was Francis and 25% agreeing with you that it was Dewey. All right. All right. Reese. I mean, he was just doing Reese things. I feel like the audience doesn't understand the curve, but... I can say I understand why you would choose him as the shittiest kid, because I understand why in almost every episode you choose him as the shittiest kid. I mean, punching Stevie is bad. We've established this. Yes. But the real point of contention came in our least shitty kid awards. Mm -hmm. For which... I chose Malcolm, mostly based on a process of elimination. Uh-huh. And you chose Francis for, for swallowing his pride and going to uh, Spangler. Yeah, look, I was mostly just making that to argue with you. Looking back, I regret that decision, and I do not agree with it. A hundred percent. Well, uh, the internet also disagreed with you. Uh, on this one, they actually agreed with me. 75% of people chose Malcolm as the least shitty kid, though the other 25% did choose Francis. Good for them. And I get it, and I made a good argument, so I appreciate those people for, for voting on the argument's sake. Well, yeah, yeah, and it's, you know, it's on the specific episode. And in addition to our poll results, we have a couple emails. One of them is a more general email. It's not about the last episode specifically, but Grace did send us a video that contained all of the different versions of the theme song. Which was uh, awesome. Yeah, uh, the, the, the most notable one being the full version uh, with its expanded lyrics into a full song. And there's a lyric that I feel like we use a lot. Yes, uh, which well, neither of us had ever heard the full song before. So thank you very much for sending that to us. And definitely the, the thing that we really keyed on is that uh, there's a lyric in the, I think, second verse uh, about grading on a curve. Which has basically been the tagline of this show since, like, episode five. Yeah, it was very rewarding to hear that. Yes, it was. <laughs> it was like They Might Be Giants was uh, 
you know, from the past validating us. Correct. Then uh, we have one other email, and this one was specifically about the previous episode. Yeah, this one was addressed to me. Uh, it was. Uh, it was from Andy. I'm going to go ahead and just read through the full email. Andy says, Hey guys, I want to start by saying I love the pod and you both seem like rad dudes. But that said, I found David's stance on Stevie playing the circle game and dinner out a little insulting. As a black, nerdy, quote-unquote, gifted kid, which, by the way, the, the quote-unquote is his use, yeah, not mine. I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> Just to clarify, I realized, you know, how that could sound as I was saying it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's used a wheelchair his whole life, I identify with Stevie a lot, and hearing David say Malcolm should have stopped Reese from punching him, or let Stevie get free hits in, or that Stevie didn't understand what he was getting himself into, stun a little. Malcolm is, as you both know... A piece of shit. But I think he's almost always a really good friend to Stevie because he treats Stevie like a normal kid, something literally no one else in the show does. Again, not trying to call David out or nominate him for any shittiest kid awards. I just wanted to give my perspective on the matter as a real-life Stevie. Keep up the great work. Okay, so I feel like I should take this one. Yeah. Uh, first of all, feel free to call me out because you should. One, I feel like that's the only way I learn things. Two... I appreciate the change in perspective uh, offered here. I can understand where that would resonate for sure. 100% that just comes from my upbringing and the way that I was raised. And I 100% can admit I have had to work on I was raised with a bit of a white knight complex. So if there were people who I saw as maybe inferior or less privileged or less trained or less educated in a sort of field or anything, it was my duty to protect them. And I have had to overcome that a lot and really understand that sometimes what I see as someone's weakness is not necessarily that. Especially in the case, I, I actually have some family members who have come down with some uh, rare genetic disorders and have become partially immobilized and, and put into wheelchairs and uh, part of the time and things like that and understanding kind of that aspect and looking at it from that I didn't even think about that when watching this episode this show a hundred percent puts me back into my mentality and I I'm very much so looking at it through the rose-colored glasses of like how I see my childhood and how I would have handled things as a kid. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, no, absolutely. No insult meant uh, you're 100% right looking at that from that aspect, and I get that. I meant no insult. Yes, Malcolm is a good friend to Stevie. He's also a piece of shit. Oh, absolutely. As, as we've established, <laughs> everyone in this show... For the most part, is a piece of shit. With the exception of Dewey and Stevie. I will add Stevie. I will add Stevie propaganda, by the way. Stevie <laughs> is a great, great character, and I love that character. Oh, oh absolutely. I, I love Stevie. Steve, I've said many times, Stevie is absolutely my favorite character. Uh, the thing is, David, a lot of the time, Stevie is a piece of shit. Yeah, I know. You're it's, not wrong. This is part of why I love him. He also gets to deliver some of the greatest fucking lines. I, I will agree. I also feel like Malcolm is, at least so far, now, remember, I have not seen all of the show, guys, so my opinion on this may change as we go. Uh, to your point of Malcolm seems to be the only person who, like, treats Stevie normally or, like, as a normal kid, I, I think you're 100% there, including to the fact that I think Malcolm's really the only person we've seen that, like, 
calls Stevie out on his shit. Uh, yeah, pretty much. And vice versa. Like, Stevie calls Malcolm on his shit a lot. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, it's definitely that way. So I, I like that. I like the dynamic of Malcolm treats him kind of like one of the gang, and Stevie is just telling Malcolm, like, look, you're not so smart, dipshit, and calling him on his bullshit, whereas he kind of bamboozles his way through with some of the other characters at times. Anyways, yeah. I hope that addresses the concern and answers that. I kind of got off on a wild tangent there. I do that. I'm sorry. My brain is fried, I swear. <laughs> uh, yeah, and feel free to send stuff uh, like that to both of us if you think we're off base. Uh, it is a podcast where, where it's uh, two white dudes talking. We have a limited perspective. 100%. It's always great to hear from perspectives that we don't have. Yes, because I absolutely didn't even consider that or think about that in, in talking about this. Yeah, and again, feel free to call me out, any of you, any of the time. And I appreciate it, and it's how I learn things, is generally by getting hit in the head with a hammer. Uh, also, feel free to send us any stuff like uh, about why you sort of relates to it and enjoy the show like if you want to use this like just as a platform to talk about your favorite episodes or like why you like the show we'll absolutely read that yeah absolutely we want to hear from you guys we actually this is probably one of my favorite parts i really enjoy and i really like interacting with people getting to it's kind of a way to meet new people and it's it's interesting and different the 100 percent makes my day so Feel free to communicate with us. Send us your thoughts. Send us, you know, again, whether you think we're wrong, think we're right, whatever. Let's let's get to know each other. Uh, and with that, let's go to this week's episode. To start this episode, we need to talk about the cold open, which for once at least sort of thematically connects to the rest of the episode. Yeah, I guess. And it starts with Hal and Lois laying in bed, and Hal is rolling around uncomfortably. He can't fall asleep. Lois asks him why. He says it's because he feels like they're forgetting something. And he goes through, like, the little checklist of trash, lights, locks. And he just can't figure out what they're forgetting. I mean, clearly it can wait till morning. Cut to the morning. Sal and Lois are getting up and going into the kitchen where Dewey is standing in a corner with his head, like, propped up against the wall, sleeping. Sal <laughs> goes over and wakes him up and tells him he's been adequately punished and sends him away. Then, he's standing next to Lois, he says, We really gotta stop doing this. Yeah, I like the added little extra line. The insinuating of, we've done this more than once. Moving on to the episode proper, this episode does contain a Francis plotline, an F plot, so we will go straight to that. That's good. The F plot starts with Francis at home alone, as his family is out of town and he has ditched school, and he's gonna call his buddies and throw a party, is his plan. And he calls Richie to set this up. <laughs> Richie informs him that their friends Circus and Justin are in jail. That tracks. For trying to steal the giant inflatable panda from a car dealership. And Francis is disappointed because that giant inflatable panda would have been great to have. Then <laughs> he asks if Richie is going to be able to make it. And Richie says he's not sure because today's his intervention. And then the camera pulls out and reveals that he's having this conversation on the phone while his intervention is going on around him. His mom's over there just bawling. <laughs> and he tells Francis to put him down as a maybe. Then Francis opens his bag 
which is full of bags of pork rind, and he realizes he may have overpurchased pork rinds in anticipation of this party. God, pork rinds for a party. Unless it's a Super Bowl party, that's awful. Seems like a perfectly normal party snack food. You went to bad parties. I didn't go to parties. <laughs> that explains a lot. <laughs> but if I saw pork rinds out, I wouldn't be shocked. It seems perfectly normal. I'm not saying that. It's just, it's a low tier, that's all. Well, yeah, they're pork rinds. They're disgusting. That's not true either. Yes, it is. Pork rinds are awful. <sighs> Jake, why do you have no taste? Really? My dislike for pork rinds makes me tasteless. <laughs> no, Jake, everything about you makes you tasteless. This is just the final nail in the coffin. <laughs> a weird breaking point's all I'm saying. I'm not disputing that I have no class. If anything, not liking pork rinds is high class. I mean, I wasn't saying you had no class. I said no taste. That's the same thing. No. In this context, it is. Maybe. They're synonymous, David. I, I posit that you can have... Loads of class and no taste. No, no, no. Not 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 within the, 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 the sort of phrasing we're using here for what class means. Look. Do you you can be rich and have bad taste. You can be classy and have poor taste in food. You just gotta make up for it in good taste with other things. Mm, I suppose. But I was, you know, using taste more broadly. I know. Uh but moving on with the Francis plotline. The next time we see him, he is on the phone with one of his fellow cadets, asking them what they're doing at the academy, trying to get all the details of what dinner they had, uh, very clearly bored being at home alone, and this cadet is uh, very obviously trying to get away from the conversation, get back to his game of pool. She eventually just outright says to get him off the phone. And then the camera pulls out and it's revealed that while he's been having this conversation, Francis has been gluing pork rinds into the shape of a giant hat, which he puts on his head and goes, Woo! <laughs> I do love that scene. Pork Pretty good. Rind hat. Make me a pork rind hat, Jake. No. Then we can mass market them and that'll be our merch for the show. No. Oh, I should make you a pork rind hat for extra life. You do that. If you make it, I'll wear it, but I'm not contributing to making it in any way. <laughs> Absolutely not. But we then see Francis the next day waking up from where he's fallen asleep on the couch with an infomercial playing. Um, and he gets up and sort of starts his day going into the kitchen, getting out some cereal and milk. Then he goes for the bathroom, and as he does, Craig walks in with a stack of mail he is breeding in for Lois as they're out of town. He puts the mail down on the counter and immediately starts making himself some toast. Then he gets distracted as he sees Hal and Lois's wedding photo, and he is standing in such a way that he makes his reflection cover Hal's face, so it's like he's in the photo with Lois. Then he goes off to Lois and Hal's room, I'd also like to point out here that I'm pretty sure, it's not canon, it's not hinted at, but just knowing the show, pretty sure they did not ask him to bring their mail in. They did. They did? Yep. Okay. It's covered in the episode. That. Is it? Yep. We'll get to it when we go to the other plot lines. Oh, I missed that. But as Craig walks by, immediately Francis walks out, like, just missing each other. He walks back to the kitchen. He sort of 
gives a confused look as the toast pops up, but then sort of shrugs and takes the toast and starts to butter it. Uh, and as he's doing that with his back turned to the hallway, Craig comes out of Hal and Lois's room wearing Hal's robe. Uh, and they both end up like standing back to back, still ha not having seen each other. And they like very slowly realize there's someone else in the room. And they both turn and immediately yell at each other, what are you doing here? Then Craig... Uh, asks Francis why he's not at school. Francis asks Craig why he's wearing his dad's robe. And they end up in a sort of mutual blackmail standoff. They both threaten to call Lois on each other. Uh, and they sort of slowly sit at the kitchen table and agree to split the toast. I mean, it's a good mutual understanding. It's very high class. You solve problems and then you split toast. I assume that's how English people do it. I don't know. That sounds right, yeah. Yeah, but you gotta involve tea. Of course. When we come back to Francis and Craig, they are sitting on the couch together eating pork rinds. And Francis is complaining because he had to buy a bus ticket to come home and he was planning this big party. And instead he's just spending the entire weekend with Craig. And Craig reveals that he has a way of traveling that doesn't cost him any money. Francis jumped to his conclusion a little fast, by the way. Because Craig says he found a way on the internet to travel that doesn't cost any money. And Francis just immediately jumps into hack into an airline's reservation. Like... Someone he knows, or someone has helped him do that before. Probably, yeah. Yeah, guaranteed. You don't just jump to that that quick. Eh. Or, or, <laughs> or it's a plot that he's considered, at the very least. Fair. Could be that. But I just, it's weird. But uh, Craig reveals that his method for getting free travel is to pretend to be Debbie in chat rooms, who is a hot, blonde, naive 18-year-old. Uh, am I stealing your line there, David? I hate you so much. <laughs> but he finds lonely men and convinces them to buy him airfare to come visit. And that's how Craig travels. Uh, not airfare. Bus tickets. He also says airfare. He actually doesn't specify. He, uh, he they... doesn't, but he does say that they he, he makes them buy him uh, coach tickets. Is that a thing on buses? I don't it, think it is. It's on both. Now, it could be airfare, too. I don't know. It's hard to say. Yeah. I just assume bus, because they were talking about bus tickets at the start. But it could be airfare. I feel like it is. I'm going to have to rewatch that scene, like, figure it out. If I'd have thought of this ahead of time, I totally would have done some Google research before the episode, so I could try to decide if they're specifically talking about airfare or bus fare. Man, if, if they are talking about bus fare, but, and, and if they are in California, as you sort of speculated in the past, that is a long fucking bus ride from California to Tampa. I've put That a, sounds miserable. That does sound miserable. Bus routes, by the way, most unorganized stupid thing in the world. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, so I don't know. I'm curious. God, I wish I'd have had this thought before we were recording. Well, you didn't, so. Correct. Fuck off. Fair enough. Also, wow. <laughs> you said I had bad taste. You do. The next time we come back to Francis, he is playing Scrabble with Craig. This scene is great. And he is playing the word Miseric, M-Z-R-Y-C, which he <laughs> insists is another military term, implying that he's made up some other words in this Scrabble game. And he says that Miseric is the uh, helmets horses wear. Uh, and we did pause to look at the Scrabble board to see what other words he made up. And we've got Dardograph, we've got Absil, we've got Gacchus, and 
next learn are all fake words that are on the board. Yep, there, there's quite a few. He is well-versed in his fake words. Uh, and then Craig plays Cat, which is the second time in the game he's played Cat. As they're playing this game of Scrabble, Craig is trying to fish for information about if Lois and Hal's marriage is going okay. And not subtly, either. No. <laughs> Craig and Francis uh, begin arguing over Lois at that point, with Francis, of course, being having his usual list of complaints about being sent to military school and her being a control freak and uh, Craig basically defending her. Shocking. And of course, you know, turning around on Francis. Which, as we've discussed in previous episodes, they're kind of both right. Yeah. But that pretty much ends the little Craig-Francis bonding. The, like, cap on Francis's plot line is him taking advantage of Craig's travel method, showing up at the airport and walking past a guy with one of those little signs for when you're waiting for someone at the airport that says, Debbie, and as Francis walks by, he says, thank you, <laughs> and then just walks away. And yeah. Yeah, that, that uh, wraps up the F-plot. Sure does. Going to the other two plot lines, which sort of start converged and then split off like halfway through into a, we'll call it a Hal plot line and a Lois plot line. Yes, uh, an A plot, an H plot, and an F plot. No, Hal doesn't get his own plot lines. Yes, he's, he he's, not, he's not removed enough like Francis for it to warrant that. It may not warrant it, but I'm doing it anyway. <laughs> Refuse to officially recognize this move. No, change approved. No, change not You can't approve your own changes. I need an Ellie. Wrong show. show. Wrong show. <laughs> Though there will be a connection to that show in a few episodes. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Interesting. But uh, back to Malcolm in the Middle. So the A and B plot both begin with the family once again in the car going on a trip. Uh, this time they are driving to a reservation uh, to go to the casino, which uh, Hal is very excited about. Uh, and the boys are mostly excited about the pool. Well, yeah, I... Look, I remember those family vacations when I was a kid. Going to a hotel with a pool was the vacation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, literally, I was so poor. That was, like, the thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's definitely a thing of, like, this is being treated as a vacation, but realistically, it's always, like, we're going to a family thing across country. Yeah. But that's, like, the, the thing your parents tell you. This is why this qualifies as a vacation. That's right. There's a pool. Yeah. Here in Wyoming, our, our family would jam 15 to 16 of us in an RV and drive two and a half hours to go to a pool. <laughs> but that was awesome. <laughs> I think we both just had the realization that our childhood sucked. Yeah. <laughs> Other kids are like, man, that time at Disneyland. And I'm like... Man, you remember that time Grandma ran over a snake? Oh. <laughs> Once again, in a specific to you relatable thing, Dewey is sick on this vacation. I He's know, car poor sick. Guy. Bro, dude, every vacation. At least he got to go on this one. True. Although, I don't know. Family vacation, B. Arthur. I'd take B. Arthur. Fair enough. But while they're driving and Dewey is getting sick, uh, Reese questions why reservations have casinos, which Hal is completely unable to explain. But thank God they do. That's probably a good thing. I, I, 
I feel like there's not a good way they could have handled that if Hal actually did try to explain it. Except for the real explanation, which then would just be boring. Fair. Yeah. <laughs> and they also explain that the reason Francis isn't joining them is that he's supposedly on uh, academic probation and he wasn't able to come home, which of course we know from the F plot is a lie that he told in order to throw a party. Yep. I mean, when you're Francis, that's a pretty good lie. <laughs> that's a believable cover story. Yeah, 100%. But they finally get to the hotel, and in another very relatable moment, they start calling dibs on uh, which beds they have. Uh, the boys do, because the, the entire family has one room with two, like, queen-size beds and one of those little roll-in cot things. Yep, also remember that. Absolutely. Yeah, that was very much so a... If we went to a hotel, there's one fucking room. That's it. Yeah. You need to sleep on the floor? Sleep on the fucking floor. Yeah. The amount of times I've slept on a hotel floor is too high. Yeah. Uh, which uh, Dewey immediately calls uh, sleeping in the same bed as Malcolm. Reese immediately calls Dibs on the big bed. <laughs> Trying to force Malcolm and Dewey to share the little cot. Yep. Lois sorts out their sleeping arrangements for them, of course. And then pretty much immediately they start, like, splitting off with uh, the boys getting ready to go to the pool. Lois just wants to take a bath and Hal is going to go to the casino. The boys make their way to the promised pool where they are immediately turned away by hotel staff who reassures them that he's not just turning them away because he hates children. That's just a happy coincidence. Yeah, I love that scene. Uh, they're told they can't go to the pool without someone who is 16 or older, which Reese tries to lie and immediately gets called out. Then they ask to go into the casino to get Hal so he can let them into the pool, but they're told they also can't go into the casino. Ah, uh, yes. Poor boys. Which leads the boys to, like, a little rack room that's very clearly there for this exact situation. Reese and Dewey playing foosball on a foosball table where Dewey says his goalie's got, uh, little spinny dude is missing its legs. It's very effective. Uh, but while they're playing, Malcolm is watching through a big, like, bay window as Hal plays poker. Hal comes in, and when they ask him how it's going, he says, you know, poker's a complicated game with ups and downs. And then he asks which one of the boys is going to buy him a soda. And Malcolm starts uh, asking him why he left the table now, because now would be a good time for him to stay, because something something face cards... <laughs> The something something, by the way, is math, okay, which is why Jake immediately tuned out. But M Malcolm starts telling him about the amount of face cards and uh, low tier cards that have been played and tell him the odds of the numbers and, and does the math to, to count the cards and actually straight up just tells Hal, like, no, there's only these cards left right now. You should go play. And uh, Hal is immediately impressed and remembers suddenly that he has a genius for a son. Yes, and for once it's useful to him. That's right. <laughs> uh, we then, of course, get the obligatory Todd Holland episode montage of Hal using Malcolm to count cards. 
This one is a pretty short, fairly straightforward montage. But it's still a montage. It is still a montage. There's been one in every Todd Holland episode so far. It, it, it's just uh, how looking back to Malcolm for various symbols and uh, with an increasingly large pile of chips in front of him, getting like increasingly excited and happy. And then it hard cuts to Malcolm and Hal in casino jail. I like that you call it casino jail. That's what it is, David. Look, places like casinos and supermarkets only have jails in Florida. No. I was no. tying it back to that other show that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with you on the grocery store thing. Casino jails are definitely a thing. Kind of. See, I've seen enough movies. It's where they take you and they beat you. Yeah, it's not a jail. It's a back room. Yeah, it's All a jail. Right? No, no. <laughs> anyway, you're capped against your will as a jail. No, I'm not comfortable with this definition, Jacob, at all. <laughs> For many and varied reasons, I am not comfortable with this definition, including legality. Ah. Oh, yeah, I forgot. You're basically a Wilkerson. <laughs> We've established this yesterday. <laughs> I'm like the weird cousin, apparently. No, we've established that you're Stevie to my Malcolm. It's canon. Yeah, you are a big piece of shit. True. But uh, Hal's excuse to try <laughs> to get out of this as he's being questioned uh, is that he's been looking for something to bond with Malcolm with. It's a tough age, and they just got carried away. And Malcolm chimes in and says that it's really helped him with his confidence. The uh, casino boss advises that they try cooking, as that's what he does with his son. <laughs> Hal then resorts to when he's uh, informed that he's being banned for life, which uh, is also a nice little callback to Waterpark. Yep. He tries to bribe the casino boss with his winnings, pulls out the, like, wad of cash that he has won. $3,000. And passes it over to him and says uh we can just pretend that none of this ever happened as he is afraid of how Lois is going to react when she finds out that they're banned. I'd like to remind everybody real quick that's three thousand dollars in two thousand. That's like nine thousand dollars now. <laughs> Not quite that bad, but God. It's like four thousand tops. I don't know. It depends on how much of a nerd you are. I feel like tech stuff has gone through this weird, like, rise and dip. Yeah, I was thinking about inflation rate. Yeah, I know. Overall inflation rate, I think you're right. I'm just talking about all the things that I like. Fair. <laughs> we, we, we need to continue with the recap, or we're going to get into a weird tangent here. You're not wrong. <laughs> Tune in next week for our economics podcast. <laughs> My frame of reference for economics is entirely, this was the price of video games. <laughs> oh my god, Jacob. <laughs> Nice. It's the only economic model you need, David. Yeah, but never mind. No, see, we're going to go into a weird spot. Also, Sony ruins that model because everything stays $60. Anyways, also not, Nintendo. Not next generation. True. It's going up to 70 What? Yeah, we're not aware. It's because of Call of Duty. It's because Call of Duty is like, they, they charge 70 for uh, the next Modern Warfare, calling it a uh, upgrade fee for the like next console generation thing. And then like every game that before didn't have pricing is now following suit and making their uh, price $70. So it seems like that's going to be the new normal for next console generation. Activision has been doing that with every upgraded system since I started playing and no one followed suit before. That's, Fuck you, other. Yeah, that, that's true. Fuck you, other 
people. All right, so so this is the exact tangent I was trying to avoid, by the way. But you can edit all this out. It's fine. Oh, no, I'm just saying it. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> but the thing is, like, it, it compared to, like, everything else, like, video game prices have been bizarrely consistent. Because $60 has been the norm for a AAA title since, like, the PlayStation went up from 50 at... Uh, from, like, the Super Nintendo to the PlayStation. Yep. It's super weird that it would be a model that has happened many times before. I think maybe, I guess, because of how many times. Because, like, they did it with the PS2 to the PS3, and then the PS3 to the PS4 with the Activision titles, um, where they were like, yeah, and if you want to buy it on this new console that's coming out now, you're going to have to pay 10 extra dollars. It's weird to me to see other, like, publishers follow that trend, because generally... The rest of the video game world looks at Activision and is like, fuck you. Yeah. But anyways, to tie that all back into, you know, this episode, I feel like at this point, the PlayStation Store is just a giant casino. Especially with the sales that have been running lately. Okay. But again, that would get us on another tangent. So loot boxes, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking EA. <laughs> And everyone who watches or listens to this podcast who doesn't play video games is now like, what the fuck? Listen, it's the norm for us to go on a random tangent. We're really bad about that. Meh. Okay. The casino boss takes Hal's money, puts it in his suit, and then just says, you're still banned. Then Hal starts to stand up and demand his money back uh, when the two large, like, bouncer-looking guys just sort of step towards him and he sits back down and says, What money? (laughs) (laughs) Then we go back to the hotel room where Lois is now ready to go to the casino and gamble. She's assuming Hal is going to be right there with her as he was the one most excited about the casino. But uh, Hal is uh, talking about how... He doesn't want to go back, and he's not very impressed with the casino. He complains about the uh, breakfast buffet, which also, by the way, implies that it's the next day, which uh, ties in nicely with the Francis spotlight. I really like the way they kept everything consistent time-wise, which is something they don't often do in shows like this, or this show specifically. Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say, where they jump around. Yeah. And, oh, and another little note before we move away from it is that Reese has eaten so much that he's made himself sick at the buffet, which Malcolm turns to camera and tells them that uh, the Wilkerson family takes all you can eat as a challenge. Again, that's super relatable. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But when Lois starts to catch on that something is up with Hal and starts to question it further, Hal points out that he is offering to stay back and keep all of the kids while Lois goes to the casino alone. Does she really want to question this? And uh, she tells him to remember to wear sunscreen and she leaves. No questions asked. (laughs) Hal reveals his plan that he's come up with impromptu based on a pamphlet he found in the hotel lobby. They are going to go to a ghost town and check it out. It's just a five mile hike, which uh, one, I feel like Hal is severely underestimating how long a five mile hike is. Right? (laughs) That's a long hike. It is. It is a long hike. Especially with uh, multiple boys. Yeah. (laughs) And Dewey is immediately afraid of the ghost town. And opts out of the journey. Yes. Which that is, in fact, where effectively the plot lines split as Dewey is going to end up with Lois. In the A plot. Sure. Uh, and in the B plot. In the H plot. But nice try. No, no. Yeah, H no, plot. No, no. 
Yes, Jake. It's the age plot. But I understand your confusion. But continue. That that is centered around Hal, Reese, and Malcolm as they get lost in the desert. You even said Hal's name first. It's definitely the age plot. Bam. Keep going. It's a Hal plot line. It is. And it's the age plot. But it's not the age plot. It is. Keep going. Uh, which one do you want to follow first? I, I say we follow the B plot centered around Reese, Malcolm, and Hal. I don't have a B plot in my notes, Jake. I have an H plot. And I think you're right. We should definitely discuss this. Uh, because it kind of has a cap that uh, ties in nicely with the B plot. Or the A plot, rather. Yeah, the A plot. There is no B plot in this episode. Well, we'll see. In my notes, the A plot is the Hal, Malcolm, Reese plot line. But I'm willing to switch that up. I'm just not willing to embrace your H plot bullshit. I think you mean my canon. No. No. Change not approved. I'm gonna buy a cannon so that I can just always say it's canon and then point a cannon at you. They're like 800 bucks. I've really looked up this gag. Anyways, uh, as I previously stated, uh, Hal, Malcolm, and Reese uh, cuts from them in the hotel to them in the desert, uh, lost with Hal trying to read the little map that comes in the pamphlet, but she very clearly doesn't know how to read a map. Yeah. <laughs> He's trying to, like, use the fingers spread to, to track where they are in relation to the map. It was only this far. <laughs> Uh. Uh, and because they're lost, he uh, says, well, the sun's over there. What does that tell us? Which Malcolm immediately says, that it's hot. <laughs> <laughs> Some genius. He should know at least the path of the sun. God. They spot a fence, which they go towards as Hal says that it's a sign of civilization, <laughs> which is true-ish. <laughs> right, having lived in Wyoming, I never look at a fence and go, oh, that means there's people. Yeah, that means nothing. Yeah, no. Oh, there's a fence. We might be near a ranch. Which means we <laughs> still might be two days from the nearest house. But they resolve to climb the fence. <laughs> As they're doing, Malcolm points out they don't know if they're climbing the fence into or out of something. <laughs> Sometimes you just let your genius work too much. Sometimes it's okay to turn it off. I, I believe Hal's actual line there is, you know, Malcolm, sometimes the genius thing gets a little old. <laughs> yeah, that is it. <laughs> but they climb the fence, then the next thing that happens is a plane flies overhead, uh, which after sort of reassuring them that everything's going to be fine as soon as they see the plane, Hal, like, freaks out and starts screaming and waving his arms and like a desert island-esque move of desperation and as they are walking away from the plane they pass a uh, knocked over sign which they of course don't see that says no trespassing u.s army ah uh, yes then the next time we come back to this group malcolm is complaining because reese has wasted their water uh making an sos in the sand and how's once again uh, reassuring that everything's going to be okay, and then talking about how much he loves them, which Malcolm turns to camera and says, he's been doing that a lot. Then Reese sees a cougar, which Malcolm looks at and says, that's ridiculous. That's clearly a puma. I mean, he's right. 
it's very clearly a puma. <laughs> but I like that his inclination is to point out that Reese is wrong before panicking <laughs> about the large, dangerous animal. That's a real you move. I could see it. Yeah, priorities. Yeah, yeah. You gotta prove that the other person's an idiot before you get eaten alive. Exactly. Could be your last moments. They start to slowly back away from the puma, and then it explodes. Yep. Just randomly. Yes. And they all run away screaming. And when they finally stop and start talking about what happened, uh, Reese immediately concludes that he blew the puma up with his mind. Yeah. And when Malcolm criticizes him for this theory, <laughs> Reese tells him to be careful how he talks to him. He's really convinced himself he has the mind powers. Yes, he has. Uh, and Hal starts, like, running through a list of possibilities of uh, maybe the puma ate some dynamite, but that doesn't make sense. Why would a puma eat dynamite? Then he thinks maybe it's a leftover blasting cap from miners, but the explosion wouldn't be that big. And that leads him back to the Reese thing. <laughs> this is also the point at which Hal realizes that Dewey is missing. <laughs> Yeah, this has been quite a while. Yes. He has, like, a panic moment uh, after the exploding cougar where he, like, looks around and yells, Where's Dewey? <laughs> and Malcolm points out that he stayed back at the hotel, which uh, ties in nicely with the cold open of them forgetting about Dewey in the corner. Yeah, I mean, I get it. He's an angel. He's quiet. He's not frequently, you know, destroying things like the other children. He's easy to forget. I'm with you on most of that. The not destroying things is a... Eating and destroying are two different things, Jake. Debatable. Fair. Uh, Motion table. But now in a panic, Hal and the boys are looking for any sort of civilization, and they find a little dinky house, and they run over to it, and they pound on the door, uh, screaming for help, and they just need to use these people's phone. And when there's no answer, Hal just barges into the uh, house. They immediately see the people sitting at the table they can see through the, like, dust-covered window are ballistic dummies. There's some, like, recording devices on the table. And they're all dressed in military fatigues. Yes. Malcolm looks at all of this, uh, then turns to camera and says, Oh, I figured out what's going on. And then, uh, out of the, uh, talking to camera, just yells, Run! They all run out of the house, which explodes behind them. Then I can't remember. I know that's sad because we just watched it, but was it was it Malcolm or Hal who points out the fact that we're on an artillery range? Uh, it's Malcolm. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Uh, Malcolm points this out to Reese and Hal, which we then get the episode's second montage, which we're going to save for the next plot line yes. because it cuts back and forth between the two. And it's pretty great. But once again, that montage hard cuts to uh, Hal and the boys sitting in a very similar room to the casino back room they were in earlier. Uh, except now they are talking to a guy in a military uniform with two soldiers standing behind them. In very exact similar placement. I love the visual comedy here. They're very clearly tying it back to the previous scenario of the episode and Hal's immediately 
sheepishly stumbling over his words to explain why they're there. Uh, yes. And this time when he turns to Malcolm to chime in, Malcolm just, he, he just doesn't say anything. Smart uh, boy. But Reese, on the other hand, does have something to say. He is very unimpressed with the U.S. military. They're supposed to be the greatest army in the world, and they couldn't even kill the three of us. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there is a brief phone call that will connect once again to the other plot line. We'll cover it there. But then uh, this portion of the episode ends with how... Reese and Malcolm walking through the desert once again, and Hal is telling a story to comfort Malcolm and Reese about how Dewey is tied up out in the desert and being left to be eaten by the fire ants. And one of the, I don't remember which, I think it's Malcolm asks, even his eyes, and Hal says, even his eyes. Yeah, poor Dewey. Now let's let, let, let's go to the A plot and discover why they all want Dewey to be eaten alive by ants. Yes, let's. <laughs> it starts with Lois at the casino. She is immediately found by Dewey, who sort of wanders up to her. When she asks why he's uh, there instead of with Hal, he explains that he's scared of the ghost town because he's scared of ghosts. Which Lois reassures him that ghosts aren't real, except for one, which we'll potentially talk about in the awards. But she's going to take Dewey back to the hotel room, because he's not allowed in the casino. But as they're leaving, uh, one of the hotel staff calls her over to spin the giant free prize wheel, uh, which are a staple of casinos, uh, to the point that even the... Uh, fake casino in GTA 5 has a giant free wheel you can spend once a day. I like that you're looping that back to video games to try to make that relevant throughout the episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was a uh, plan the whole time. Yeah. Uh, you know what's funny? The only casino I've ever been in didn't have a giant prize wheel. I feel robbed. Lois spins the wheel and she wins a romantic spa day for two, which she is initially very excited about until she realizes that, uh... They are leaving the next day, and Hal is out at the ghost town all day, and she won't be able to use it, which the uh, staff member tells her, don't worry, it's good for six months, which she sort of scoffs at and says it took six months of saving to go on this trip in the first place. They're not going to be back here within six months. But then she looks over to Dewey and realizes that she can have her romantic spa day with Dewey. Which uh, we then see Dewey and Lois enjoying this spa day as they're getting uh, pedicures and massages. Well, they're both getting pedicures. Dewey is getting a massage. Yeah, which I mean, good on you, boy. Then when we come back to them again, they're getting facials. And Lois, uh, without looking at him, uh, instinctively knows as Dewey goes to take off one of the cucumbers off of his eye and eat it and tells him not to. And uh, going back to that montage, uh, we see a like intercutting back and forth as Hal, Malcolm, and Reese are in the desert uh, running as various stuff explodes. I think one's an outhouse. Yeah. One's a... I can't remember what else blows up. Uh, they find, like, a car with a ballistic dummy in it, and initially they, like, throw the dummy out and try to get in and start the car. And then Hal, like, realizes uh, <laughs> this car is going to be blown up, and they all run out as the car blows up. There, there's a couple other little things, but it's Lois and Dewey 
side of it is just the two of them being uh, like pampered and taken care of in their fluffy white robes. Very all of a sudden high quality like hotel stuff you know, resort type stuff versus, you know, the lower end hotel room that we see previously. Yeah, which makes sense for like a casino hotel. Yeah, because you got the crappy rooms, but you got the spa because that's where you spend your money. You know, I get it. Look, if we don't get you in the casino, we're going to get you in the spa. Yeah, exactly. It's all in one paid, you know, yeah, I get it. But then after the montage, the next time we come to Lois and Dewey, they're eating their lobster dinner and just having a a great time. And Dewey wants to order ice cream and uh, Lois tells him he can. Then the uh, room in their hotel room rings. The room in their hotel room rings? The phone in their hotel room (laughs) rings. And Dewey goes over and answers it. And then, of course, is Hal. Uh, He's asking Dewey to put Lois on. He only gets one call. It's an emergency. And Dewey, without saying anything, hangs the phone up, goes back to the table. And when Lois asks who it is, Dewey says, wrong number. But uh, that wraps up the recap. Uh, So let's go on over to our awards. What did you have, David, for your OK Boomer Award? Your award for something that sets the episode firmly within its time of release. We're going to jump right into OK Boomer. All right. Internet chat rooms, because it is the year 2000. Debbie's in them. Craig's in them, Francis is in them, I'm in them. And they're all named Debbie. (laughs) That's right. Look, there's a very specific period of time in my life where internet forums and internet chat rooms play a huge role in my life and the people that I've met, and including up to my wife. Fair. Anytime people start talking about trolling the forums or internet chat rooms, I immediately recall back to this era and this sort of point in time where a lot of people are really dumb and believe anything that anyone on the internet tells you. There's a lot of naivety about the internet still at this point. I I feel like in 2000, the world, at least from my point of view, was very polarized on the internet. You either had people like my parents who were like, people suck, they're terrible, and everyone on the internet wants to lie to you. And then you have other people who are like, you know, oh yeah, I mean, they're people, they're great. You can trust them. Give them their credit card number so that they can fix that Dell problem. At this point, a lot of people still don't have in-home computers. You don't have a lot of people, especially like middle to lower class individuals don't have, like we were one of the few people, if you remember, who had a computer for forever. And then we had one for what, a year before we had internet? And it was a big thing. Well, you used to come over and hang out at my house and that's all half of you guys ever wanted to do like you were probably one of the only people besides myself who ever wanted to do anything other than play on the freaking computer and the internet that's true but yeah so i mean like i i completely get that so that's where my okay boomer comes in with the internet chat rooms because it's the hundred percent puts this in the year 2000 to 2003 for me oh yeah, yeah absolutely i went with a much more specific Thing. Due to the party he was supposed to have, Francis, in addition to his crafts with the uh, pork rinds, has like a little pyramid of Coke cans set up. Ah, yes. And the, the design on the Coke cans was just one of those things that like immediately took me back to my childhood. Ah, yes. Old Coke. Coke classic. 
No. It wasn't called Coke Classic then. Exactly. It's just regular Coke. It's just very specifically the design. Mm-hmm. Which I'm also willing to bet is one of those things that in the original airing was like cut off. Because they generally don't show actual brands. Right. But but in the, the Hulu version, you can like fully see the Coke logo and like the design on the can. Uh, moving on to our next award. What did you have for the A plot of your heart? Uh, Hal and the Boys. The H plot. The A plot. The H plot. It's the A plot of my heart, but it's the H plot. Nice try though. But yes, uh, I, I love this plot line. Uh, <laughs> so story time. Uh, another random tangent, but I know how easy it actually is to almost drive drive onto military artillery range. I've been in the back of what we call a deuce and a half, which is a, a two and a half ton pickup, uh, which is what you see, like those trucks that carry troops and things like that. I've been crammed in the back of one driven by a madman uh, who ignores all directions and signals that you give them. And fortunately, range control pulled up in the Humvee to turn him around because he was ignoring us. Uh, as he almost drove us into the artillery range. By the way, artillery was launching. Nice. Yeah, we could hear them. We didn't get quite close enough to experience impact like what Hal and the boys do, but I've been close to that. So that was super uh, funny to me because I've, I've been running through artillery fields and with the exception of the crash test dummies, which are what they use for their, quote, ballistic dummies, like that's very much so how an artillery range is. Just here's some random crap we saw that you guys should aim for and blow up. Cars, outhouses, big... Connex boxes, you name it, yeah. And just the interactions between Hal and the boys and the, the <laughs> not realizing Dewey was missing. And I don't know. I just, I really enjoyed this plot line a lot. Uh, fair enough. It is a very good plot line. And it is like the, it's the plot line I remember this for, for this episode the most. Like it's the one I associate with it the most. But upon rewatching it, this time, I found myself drawn more to the F-plot. Pretty good. That just uh, the interaction between Francis and Craig is really interesting. It's not a dynamic that gets explored very often in the show. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if this is the only time the two of them have, like, a significant plot line together. It's almost like the the dichotomy that is Lois herself, the character. Because, you know, she's got the good, loving, nurturing mom side, but she's also got the, you know, hellspawn tyrant side uh, that is necessary in order to control Hal and the boys. And it's interesting because you see moments where that, like, actualizes in the character, but it's kind of funny because all I could think of when I uh, I see Craig and Francis on on the couch talking is that's exactly, it's like her mortal enemy and her coach. Like, Oh yeah, it's two people who's like entire life is centered around Lois, but in like opposite ways. Right? One of them blames the, her for everything and she's the spawn of Satan and the other one thinks she walks on water. Yeah, and I, I also I, I also just like the detail of uh, Francis' friend group like falling apart because two of them are in jail and the other one can't come to his party because he's in the middle of his intervention. That's another weird little interesting thing that I I found kind of relatable and it, it almost made the F plot my primary as well because like I feel like friend groups like that oftentimes have that even though they're a shitty person they have that one like linchpin that sort of holds them all together and holds them just far enough back that you know, nothing goes haywire, and when that falls out, boom, everybody's going to jail or juvie or... Yeah, like, it, as 
destructive and shitty as Francis is, like, we've seen evidence that he is the reasonable one in his friend group. Yes. Like, when he called them in to try to get the letter from the boys in that one episode. Yeah, you can't burn down the house. Right. Yeah, and I I understand what it's like to feel like that, Francis, because, you know... How many of my childhood friends are in prison? But another reason the F plot was the A plot of my heart is because it contained my uh, Roller Skating King Award, my award for the best visual moment. Uh, It actually contained both my choice and my backup choice. Okay. Uh, But my my choice to actually give the award to is when Craig first comes in and it's a, like, long single shot of Francis and Craig, like, just missing each other. Uh, like, Like, as soon as Francis walks into the bathroom, room it just pans over and shows greg come in and then it follows him as he goes to uh the bedroom and and then it's like a sustained shot as francis comes out of the bathroom and back into the kitchen who's greg i said craig i really sounded like you said greg listen sometimes i don't enunciate so good fair also (laughs) uh yes that scene is amazing and it almost won mine too Uh, what did win yours david uh the puma blowing up look don't call me a Michael Bay fanboy, but I did not expect that at all. Like I didn't, and uh, I didn't see the military sign when we were watching through it until I went back and rewatched that scene. So I was watching the episode, and they climb over the fence, and I'm like, okay, where are they going with this gag? And then I see the puma, and I'm like, oh, they're in the desert, and okay, cool, cougars awesome and then it just blows the fuck up for literally in my mind no reason i didn't have any connection there at all i was confused as fuck but also i love big cats so the fact that they actually like managed to edit in some uh b footage they very clearly did not have a puma yeah they they caught some some footage of a puma and kind of plugged it in there and then like edited that explosion on top of it. I I thought it was great. It was horrible, but great at the same time. Not to to spoil things for you going forward, but I will say this is not the only time in this series that specifically Malcolm is trapped by large cats. I love large cats. Like, wolves are still my favorite animal, but I don't like normal cats. But large cats, like, I love pumas and bobcats and tigers and yeah. Okay, fair enough. But yes, also, admittedly, it probably would have registered less for me for uh, Roller Skating King Award, except for I missed the sign the same way that they did. So just that... It's kind of awesome. It is. It's pretty great. Uh, it made for great viewing experience. I'm sure. Because it, the cat just blows the fuck up, and Hal's got the look of like, what the fuck? And just the... the of course, we all know I love Brian Cranston's facial expressions. He... What? Is such a great physical actor but anyways and and the boys and everyone just standing there like oh my god and i felt like i was there with them because i was also like oh my god <laughs> maybe reese did do it with his mind <laughs> right <laughs> what a crazy twist that would have been so yeah we're gonna talk about that more <laughs> Okay. Uh, just because I, I mentioned it, my backup was the uh, giant hat and then the dinosaur Francis made out of the pork rinds. Uh, that's fair. That's pretty good. Well, I'm assuming the uh, connection you were going for there is your hot dog with mustard on it, your award for the best line. Oddly enough, it's not. Oh, but weird. We can... Oh, I know. We're going there anyway, because yeah. I already made the segue. So. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, my hot dog with a mustard on it actually is very simply the fact that I'm Debbie... 
I'm blonde, naive, and I love to wear sundresses. I love that comment from Craig and just how much he gets into it and sort of the the wistful gaze on his face as he says it as he looks off into the distance and continues to go and then Francis has to like snap him out of it and bring him back to it. I do appreciate that <laughs> Craig has like an entire backstory built for this persona. Yes, I mean, look, any good catfisher does. Fair. You got to really believe in the character, Jake. Yeah. I I think it's great and I love this line and it's hilarious. It's specific. And it is just, I don't know, it's one of those things, could you have seen it coming? Probably, but it's, if it, if it was on a list of the traits to pick about Craig, I probably would have. But I just, it's hilarious, and I love the delivery. Fair enough, that is why it was actually my backup choice. Nice. But, uh, my actual award goes to Reese, uh, and it's, you people let me carry the water and suddenly I'm the idiot? <laughs> <laughs> And I appreciate the level of self-awareness Reese presents here. It's For him, it's a big thing. It really is. He realizes he can't be trusted with important <laughs> stuff. He knows him. Yeah. Well, let's go to favorite character from there. Who did you have for favorite character? Craig. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Craig is great in this. This is a great Craig episode. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a creepy Craig episode, but any Craig episode is creepy. <laughs> yeah, Craig is creepy. It's yeah. one of his defining characteristics. It's agreed. He's creepy Craig. The, 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 the catfishing stuff and the wearing Hal's robe. <laughs> and the, the scene with Francis and him where they're just missing each other, and then the, the like, realization when they run into... I, I, Craig is great in this episode. Yeah. It's like I've said previously, I really like Craig when he's not just being creepy at Lois. Yeah. Like, in almost any other context, he's a great character. And this episode is a great example of that. I would agree. Down to that time. Yep, that just leaves our shittiest and least shitty kids. Let's start with least shitty kid. Who did you have, David? So, I looked at my notes before we started recording. Mm -hmm. And I was super confused. <laughs> because I was trying to remember why I had this kid <laughs> as least shitty. Uh-huh, go on. And then as we've continued through the recap, the episode has come back to me in full. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I, I think I made the right choice. Even though... Throughout most of the recap, I was like, why didn't I choose that kid? Why didn't I choose that kid? Uh, and the least shitty son is Reese. David? Uh-huh. I'm shocked to say... Uh-huh. I agree. Yes! <laughs> yes! <laughs> All right, good on you, Reese. Holy shit. Wow, he can do something good. I well, mean... Well, he can do something <laughs> least shitty. <laughs> Which for Reese is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're grading on a curve here. Absolutely. Come on. But he didn't break any laws. Nope. Well, he, he didn't, didn't knowingly break any laws. Correct. That's what I was about to fix that to. He really wasn't shitty to anyone. He had that moment of, you know, self-clarity and, and actualization where he's like, look, I'm an idiot. Why did you guys trust me with this stuff? Yeah, Malcolm should have known better. 100%. Look, he was really thinking about he should blow up that puma and save his family. He gave himself mind powers in order to save his family. He accepted his new mutant identity. It's true. You know? And he even gave Malcolm a warning. Yeah. He didn't go straight to blowing him up. Right, which was a real Reese move. Yeah. And he didn't try to blow up the military guys when they were in military jail. 
True. Yeah. Although I feel like at that point, Reese may have pieced together that he didn't want the boom on his mind. Maybe. Maybe. I also, I appreciate his criticism of the artillery. I mean, he's right. Greatest military in the world. You couldn't kill these three idiots? Man. Agreed. Reese is least shitty. All right. Wow. And David, who did you have for shittiest kid? I think this is where some contention comes in. We'll see. Maybe. We'll see. Malcolm. Okay. 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 Fair. Okay. I can see that. Okay. I chose Dewey. No. <laughs> Dewey is not... <laughs> He left Hal, Malcolm, and Reese in a known emergency situation to their face. Yeah, and you see what those dudes do to him? Look, I'm not saying he was good, okay? There's a reason he's not Lee's shitty son, okay? But he's easily only Malcolm-level shitty here. And we both know that the only reason he did that is so that he could have more quality time hanging out with his mom and enjoying things for once, rather than having the shit sandwich that is his brother's crammed down his throat and forced upon him. So your your, your justification <laughs> for Dewey doing this awful thing is, well, yeah, but he only did it because it benefited him. No, my justification for it is that he wants to spend more time with his mom and his brothers are dicks. He's, uh, he's enjoying his pampering, which, fair enough, would not hold against him, except throwing everyone else under the bus to continue that, that brief window of pampering he's experienced. I he's mean, been immediately corrupted by luxury. Look, I think that I could get behind that if Dewey had, like, an idea of what the emergency is. But think about it. I, I challenge you this. Okay, it is a Wilkerson family member yelling on a telephone about how something is absolutely, necessarily, must happen right now. So in other words, a normal phone call for the Wilkerson family. Exactly, so he should know to take that seriously. No, that, con I say on the other hand, these fucking people scream about everything on the phone all the time. How is he gonna know that Hal is in an actual emergency versus a perceived emergency? Uh, time out. Hal isn't screaming at him on the phone. Hal has like a very strained, very obvious like freaking out. True. But trying to keep it together voice going. As he asks Dewey to put Lois on the phone, it's very important. It's an emergency. I guess Which that... for the Wilkerson's, an emergency situation is going to be something pretty bad. Or pretty mundane. I mean... No. Like, I feel like they use that word a lot. That, that I, I feel like emergency for them through the course of the show has been someone is going to the hospital or jail. Well, that's not bad. The best case scenario is Hal needs bailed out of jail. And Dewey just hangs up on him. Yeah. Shadiest kid. No. And uh -huh. I will say I did strongly consider Malcolm. He was the other uh -huh. big contender. Yeah. But... In the same way that we're giving Reese least shitty kid because we're grading on a curve uh -huh. of Reese is always shittiest. Uh-huh. I'm grading on the curve of Dewey is usually the best. Uh-huh. So when he does shitty things, he should be held to a higher standard. To a Dewey standard? The Dewey what? decimal standard, they call it. No. No, they don't. No. <laughs> that was a good joke and then you ruined it. I hate you. <laughs> Why do you hate library sciences, David? <laughs> the glare you're giving me makes that joke worth it. Okay, uh, why do you think Malcolm is worse? Malcolm knowingly broke the law with his dad in the casino. Did he? 
Yes. First of all, counting cards is not illegal. Second of all, I doubt he even knew that that was like a thing that was frowned upon. I don't know. I did at his age, but meh. Maybe. Yeah, that holds. Because the reason I would have known at his age that that was a thing you can't do is 100% because of your dad. And we've already established your family is the real-life Wilkerson family. So no, <laughs> Malcolm knows it's a bad thing to do. Also, there's just the whole everything. First of all, he let Reese hold the water. Like, what an idiot. And he's supposed to be the smart one. Fair. He didn't look around for any signs or, like, they just randomly hop onto the fence. Like, he is... Also, he's supposed to be, like, this super genius and he can't read a map, tell directions. Like, come on now. Literally, my eight-year-old self could find my way back easier than this, you know, hyper genius and his brother and dad can. These are all just reasons why Malcolm sucks. <laughs> Malcolm 100% goes along with Hal and lying to the casino owner and trying to, you know, get Hal out of it, which is, again, shitty behavior. I guess. There's another thing, and I didn't write it in my notes. I remember there's something at the start of the episode that makes me think that Malcolm is a shitty kid, but it's not directly in here. I need to rewatch the episode. Damn it. Don't remember anything especially shitty he did. Towards the beginning. And I don't remember what it is. I'm going to have to rewatch the episode. Uh, so we've reviewed the tape. Sure have. I am woefully unconvinced of your argument. Look, okay, so I was wrong. It's not, it, it wasn't what he said specifically. And I know now that my argument that I made in my notes, why it's going to be super weak against you because you've chosen Dewey as the shittiest <laughs> child. So therefore you have already you know, put that he deserves all this. But uh, Malcolm is still a piece of shit throughout this entire episode. And to counter an earlier point that you made about him not knowing that it was wrong, he definitely knew that what he was doing with Hal was wrong, by the way. Because if you watch the tape, he is very clearly, like, he gets excited as Hal gets excited, and then he, he, like, looks away so that nobody catches them. He knows what he's doing is wrong there, for one. For two, when they first go in, he does make a comment, and it was stuck in there, about the argument we mentioned with him and Reese and having to share the bed with Dewey, and... Whoa, whoa, whoa. What? His comment is, no, if you get the big bed, you get Dewey. That's a perfectly reasonable thing to say. <laughs> yeah, but it... Uh, look, that whole argument is just so mean and inconsiderate to Dewey. No. It's, yes. No. Yes. <laughs> Also, some of the more uh, reasonable reasons why Malcolm is the shittiest kid. One, he let Reese carry the water. But listen, Two, having a high IQ doesn't mean you have common sense. That's true. Malcolm is done. a consistent example of that. I'm not done. Then, when Reese tries to spell out SOS in the sand with the water, he gets mad at him. It was a perfectly viable <laughs> option. Also, you couldn't even keep a straight face and stop yourself from laughing as you made that argument. <laughs> I need to put like a, a, a block here so I'm not looking at your little smug ass face. Again, we have Lion of the Casino owner willingly helping Hal rip off the casino. Then, you can knock it off with your smug look, asshole. I can't help it, David. This is just the face I make when I'm right. <laughs> You're not right. I might be wrong, but that doesn't make you right. So again, Jacob, I have to clarify. While all these other things have not been the strongest case against Malcolm, I'll give you. What I will say is that he's an ungrateful, whiny little brat, which is very, very much 
already established by both myself and the internet as being a very good reason to vote Malcolm as the shittiest kid because Hal wants to take them on this fun adventure and bond with his kids and he is ungrateful for it the entire time even before they end up accidentally on a military testing range and almost blown up he is whining and ungrateful about it the entire time also to use your little comment earlier when the puma blows up he's more worried about proving reese wrong about whether or not it's a puma or a cougar like a smug little bastard just like you're looking at me right now then you know their safety like Oh, that's a big cat that could eat us. We should move away. Or maybe any of the other things that you should do in that scenario. No, instead, yeah, you're right. It's a big cat and we're going to die. But also, it's a puma, not a cougar. Yeah. What a fucking prick. Be pedantic and annoying and smug later on. To quote Hannibal Burris, don't boo me, I'm right. My point is, while I understand that Malcolm is not as shitty as he has been in the past. But grading on the Malcolm curve, like you were apparently grading all the other kids, he has learned quite a bit so far in this show and has been in very similar situations where he has learned that this type of behavior is not appropriate, yet he continues to perpetuate lying and covering up and breaking the rules and all of these things that he very clearly knows is not okay and he's an ungrateful whiny little punk so yes malcolm is the shittiest kid has he learned those lessons he's learned he's learned some lessons but i feel specifically these lessons and especially when it comes to being with hal i feel like the opposite is true Think about stock car races, where he and Reese are in trouble, and, and you know, when Hal shows up at the end to, to get them, and stuff starts to go bad, uh, I don't remember if Hal tells them to or directly punches the security guard in the balls and they all run away together. I feel like if anything, especially with like, uh, if we're, if I'm with Hal, this is how we do things. I feel like he is the opposite of a lesson has been learned. He has been consistently taught by Hal to help him get out of these situations. So I'll give you that one. That's a good, that's a good fair point and deconstruction of the whole line. Okay, so we'll remove lying to the military and, and to the casino guy off from the table. He knew he was breaking the rules when he was helping Hal. Okay. And he has definitely been in the scenario where breaking the area's rules or the rules or the law around there is not acceptable. And even if Hal is encouraging him, he has learned that you have to do what's right even when Hal is going off of his rockers like in the bots and the bees. Okay. So if we're using past learning and past lessons, Malcolm has learned that sometimes he has to stand up to Hal when it comes to doing what's right. Fair. And he fails to do so here. True. And he's ungrateful, which he totally got called out for his by his one episode girlfriend for being a whiny little bitch. And he's still a whiny little bitch. Oh, hold on. You think he learned his lesson when at the end of the episode, after all of that, she tries to give him his nu her number despite all of his whining? No. I mean, he doesn't get it, though. Well, yeah, but that's not because he was whiny. It's because Lois freed the dog, a symbol of the chaotic state of nature. I see. 
You're really reaching now. <laughs> wreaked havoc upon the entire family. You're, you're reaching. That just happened to be how it mm. was put upon Malcolm. You're reaching. That was karma teaching him a lesson. It was karmic justice. Fair. In fact, that was actually the name of the dog. It was karma. <laughs> I accept this is canon. Okay. <laughs> but we, we established Malcolm, very smart when it comes to, like, very straightforward entirely, like, isolated, logical thinking. That's why he's good at, so good at, like, math and science. When it comes to everything else, like, real life, common sense, learning moral lessons, you have to realize that Malcolm is about as dumb as Reese. You can't expect him to pick up on, the world has punished me for this. He's not gonna learn that. He needs Lois to sit him down and scream at him and punish him severely for any lesson to potentially get through. That's not true because that's not what happens in the bots and the beast. You have seen his ability to morally rationalize and stand up to other people based upon what is right or wrong. He has learned to think on his own and confront even his parents on right and wrong when it goes too far. And he fails to do that for Hal here again, and then continues to be a whiny, ungrateful little punk. I, I conceded the first one. I'm just okay. not conceding that he would learn his lesson from... About being a whiny punk? Yes, from the dog stealing the number. Okay, but there's... So there's that one. There's also the babysitting one. Where, in that episode, they go out of their way to demonstrate that he did not learn his lesson. That's fair. That's a bad example. I can't think of a good example of that. But, I mean, it's kind of been a thing through the whole show. Like, he's a whiny little bitch, and everyone has told him that. True. Counterpoint. He's also in horrible situations consistently. Oh, are you really going with the I whine the perfect amount for the per a person in my situation? Uh, it's I happen to bitch the perfect amount for someone in my situation. But yes, that's exactly the quote I was leading up to. No. Yes. No. He gets stuck on an artillery Wah. range. Been there, done that. Suck it up, buttercup. And almost killed as oh. both a puma is close enough to explode that they get puma guts on them. They Hal don't get any guts on them. That's not what Hal says. Okay, they say it, but you don't see any puma guts. And almost killed several times. I mean, eh. No, so I, I, I get what you're saying, but Malcolm was still super ungrateful, and I've definitely been way more enthusiastic even if faking it, he has no consideration for Hal's feelings. Hal's whole thing is he's bonding with his boys. And, you know, Malcolm feels like he doesn't connect with his parents so well sometimes, as he stated. And instead of being grateful for the opportunity, like Dewey is, because he's a precious angel who wants to connect with his mom and have some time, instead, Malcolm is whining, bitching, and moaning because of a simple little walk. Yes, it gets derailed. Fair. But he's bitching about it before then just because it's a simple little walk. Uh, he doesn't start complaining until they get lost in the desert. No. Yes. Well, lost, yeah. But it, eh. look, at that point, they don't know that there's any peril or anything like that. True. They're just all stupid and in the desert. That's True. not that bad. Agreed. There's whole states that were made that way. Fair. And I'm not saying Malcolm isn't whiny or obnoxious, because he is. I'm saying it's not fair to compare his situation 
to Dewey's and be like, he's not grateful for running through the desert dodging artillery shells the way Dewey is getting a pedicure and a facial and getting fed lobster and ice cream. Isn't that isn't that the same situation? He should appreciate it like Dewey. I mean, no, 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 no. They're both and, bonding. And Malcolm is shitty in the usual Malcolm shitty things. It's all the usual categories. Sure, he's failed to learn some lessons, fine. But as far as the grading on a curve thing, Malcolm is the usual level of shitty Malcolm. Dewey turns his family over to their fate, betrays them, which is not usual Dewey behavior. It's an exceptionally shitty episode for Dewey. Dewey is shittiest kid. You're wrong. He's an angel, and he's enjoying time with his mom, and he is enjoying to finally be treated like an actual human being instead of home base. Fuck you, fuck Reese, and fuck Malcolm. That was last episode. <laughs> We're not talking about that. We're talking about this episode in which Dewey was the shittiest. He was not. Can tell you're not going to see reason. I'm not going to agree with you and, you know, besmirch Dewey's name. No. Your Dewey propaganda. It's not the, propaganda. It's, it's like self-propaganda. <laughs> You've brainwashed yourself into being unable to see the rare instances when Dewey is legitimately shitty. Look, we're done here, all right? It's Reese Malcolm, okay? Yes, Simple it's Reese Dewey. Agreed. No, no, it's Reese Malcolm. Least shitty shittiest. Done. Sold. Over. Take it to the internet. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, well, if you do want to vote to help us decide who was shittiest this episode, you can do that at Twitter, where we are unfair underscore podcast. We put up a weekly poll on Twitter, and you can also send us any observations or questions there. You can also reach us by email, where we are lifeisunfairpod at gmail.com. Also, if you enjoy the banter back and forth and want to watch us play video games and all sorts of different fun things, head on over to twitch.tv slash lpdeathray, where we stream and play all sorts of different various games with, you know, me arguing with Jake, just like here. Make sure to tune in November 7th when we are doing a 24-hour stream for Extra Life. It's a really cool, really fun charity event we do every year, uh, so if you can, please come and join us for that. It'll be a lot of fun, and Jake, because of this podcast, will be eating a hundred peeps. Jake will be eating as many peeps as he can, up to 100. Uh, so be on the lookout for that, and as always, thanks for listening. Remember, life is unfair.